episode six of the Highlight Zone here on the All Things Geek Network. Uh, I am one of your two hosts, Steve. And this is Kelly. Welcome all you zoners. That's right, the zoners. The zoners, that's right. To our fans out there, I like that you guys are our zoners. I like this. So we're recording episode six today. And you know this because I've been telling you about it all week. And Sarah knows about this. I have never been this excited about recording an episode of almost anything. This is easily one of my favorites. So, is it because I make great Long Island iced teas? We're starting the day off. Last time, I, you didn't hear it, but you could hear the glass chinkling. I love it. Um, we Cheers. are starting off with the, the same old Long Islands over here. But the reason I'm so excited is this episode is going to be, I think, potentially one of the most star-studded episodes of the highlights on that we do because we're covering some incredible incredible episodes here. I already said it last time. There are two level 10 ratings on here. I went through my list of top five all-time episodes and two of them are in this episode. We're going to have some interesting discussions. We are going to have some interesting discussions. (laughs) And also one of them, I had to do some additional research because I still don't understand what happened. And the internet is split. That happens to me every day. Does it? Yes. So everybody, welcome to the Highlight Zone. We're going to jump right in, but buckle up because we're going to try to do this in a different way because one of these episodes, I think we need to dedicate about a half an hour to. So we're going to go through and do our thing, and we're going to start off with one of my all-time favorite episodes. This is true. We're going to start right off with one of the ones that means the most to me, and that would be episode number 21, Mirror Image. Mirror Image was first aired on... February 26th, 1960, and it stars Vera Miles, Martin Milner, and Joseph Hamilton. Those are the three actors that you see in this. Now, before we go into it, there's something interesting about this episode is you were bringing up last time that you really dig sometimes where they film in one tiny location. This is a weird location, right? Because they are filming this this is a minimalist location. This is a minimalist, you but could it's do a, this in a box. You could, but it takes place at a bus station, a yes, very cool yes. bus station. A very here, old bus station. <laughs> so here we go. We're going to start the timer right now to make sure that we don't get ridiculous. But uh, let's do this. All right. First of all, 20-second shout-out to those few listeners out there, and I have no the zoners. idea. The zoners that get this and listen to this. I want to wish every one of you out there who is a veteran, happy belated Veterans Day. All of you know my co-host, Steve, is a veteran, and uh, my hat off to him. I reach out every year and get choked up thinking about it. So to all of you that have served our country or are serving our country, a heartfelt thanks and gratitude from me to all of you. We we wouldn't be here without this. No, this is okay. Very cool. I I told you I was going to do that. So anyway, yeah, very cool. Let's move on. This did come out of the week. This will be we recorded. Veterans Day was on Friday, and here we are on. It's about one week after that, and you know. We won't talk about it. This is not the show to talk about social networking, but I will tell you, I appreciate that very much. Thank you, sir. Yeah, my pleasure. So, this episode is one I have seen only one other time. I'd forgotten it, so which happens when you get over 60. So, I go back and rewatched it twice because I got confused. This is filmed in a box. It's a room that's empty. This is this woman on a cold, rainy night. She's waiting for a bus and I, to Cortland, wherever Cortland is, and... She's sitting there. She's. It's late. There's no one else there. The people in this are the bus depot uh, ticket guy, two old, an old couple, and a lady in the bathroom. The cleaning lady and, and our star, the woman, at least for half of the movie. So, she's nervous. It's raining. She's looking at the clock. She goes up to the bus 
depot attendant and asks him when the bus is going to come, why it's so late. And he says, lady, I don't know. And she said, and she happens to notice while she's talking to him that her luggage is sitting behind him and she's looking at it. And anyway, she thinks about it and she asks him, she goes, well, how late do you think it's, when is it going to arrive? And he goes, lady, it's going to arrive at the same time I told you 30 minutes ago. She looks at him sort of quizzically. She goes, now, he says, now go sit back down because he's really getting pissed at her. She doesn't know this because this is the first time she's approached him. But anyway, she turns around, shakes her head, goes and sits back down and notices that her luggage that was there when she stood up is not there by the bench. It's behind him in the luggage area to be loaded. So anyway, she uh, looks around. She's getting confused. She gets up and she goes into the bathroom and there's a cleaning lady sitting in the bathroom and so she's cleaning herself up. She's thinking in her head, what could be going on? Why am I seeing my luggage one place and then it's missing? Am I losing my mind? What's going on here? And she engages in conversation with the cleaning lady and the cleaning lady says, well, ma'am, you, you look fine. You look just like you looked 30 minutes ago. So now she's really confused. And so the cleaning lady keeps doing her thing and, the, and opens the door from the restroom into this uh, open area where the, the depot is. And our lady looks out and sees her double sitting there. Her doppelganger. Yeah. Yeah, so her, her doppelganger is sitting there. Now she's freaking out. Okay. Yeah, and she's scary. Like, she is terrified. Oh, she's, she doesn't know. She's thinking she's losing her yeah. mind. Yeah. So the door closes. She goes back out. There's no doppelganger there. She goes to the counter. Her baggage isn't there. Her baggage is now by the bench again. So she's sitting there losing her mind and a guy comes running in from the outside. He's got his raincoat on. And here's the funny thing to all you listeners. I swear to God, this twilight zone apparently kept TV running because everyone I see in this moot in these series happens to be stars in future TV episodes. The guy that comes in is one of the two stars in One Adam 12, which was a, yep, huge, Adam 12. a huge show in the 70s. I'm looking at this guy and I'm thinking, okay, where's Ponch, your partner on the motorcycle? <laughs> <laughs> so the person you're talking about is Martin Milner. And he was born in 1931, and he did go on. He died in 2015 at the age of 83. But how cool is his IMDb picture? Oh, like, my God. That, that just a, looks like a okay. high school. And this, I've said picture. this before, too. Every actor and actress that appears here, these are stellar-looking actors and actresses. Yeah, yeah. What has happened to the world? The world has completely <laughs> gone to hell. But all yeah. of these guys wear suits. The women wear dresses. Their hair is done to the tens. They're sharp-looking people. Yeah. And, he, and he's Always. no exception. So he comes in, and he comes up to her. She's sitting at the bench freaking out, and he hands her a purse. And he goes, you dropped this. Now, this didn't dawn on me the first time. She takes it. Like, okay, I dropped it. He hands it to her. He sits down. He says, what's, you know, how are you doing? You look a little out of sorts. She starts explaining to him how freaked out she is. And she thinks, she goes, I'm losing my mind. What's going on? The bus isn't here. And he says, ma'am, maybe I can, let's think this through together. So they're talking about scenarios. Could this be just a lapse of memory? Could she be distraught? Is, is someone playing a trick on her? So anyway, at this point, the depot manager says bus so-and-so to Cortland is finally arriving so they're getting excited he gets up he says let's get on that bus and let's go so they go out the door 
And as they're getting ready to line to line up and go through the bus door, she looks up in the window of the bus and she sees herself and she absolutely loses it. So her doppelganger is sitting in a window seat, just not, smiling, not just looking, looking at her, just looking straight ahead. So she runs, and our guy, one Adam Twelve, he runs, he runs back in because he's worried about her. And the bus goes, and she's sitting on the bench. Well, next scene is apparently she just went. She lost it. She's, she passed out. Yeah. She's she's laying on the bench now with a rag on her head, and he's waking her up. And so they're talking about it. And at this point, she says, you know, I've heard stories about multiple universes, parallel universes. I think this might be one of those situations. And he's looking at her, trying to calm her down. Yeah, yeah, that might be. He says, let me, I've got a friend that might be able to help us out that can come pick us up. So he leaves her, goes to, goes to the bus depot guy, this old geezer who's still sitting there with no customers. I guess he has absolutely no life. And they're talking to each other. One Adam 12 is talking to the bus depot guy, and he says, look, give me the phone. I'm going to call the police. She needs some help. So he calls the police and quietly says, hey, we've got this lady that's whack job. That's a whack job here. Come, come and check it out. So he goes back to her, and he says, things are going to be okay. Uh, let's think this through. And then a minute later, he says, let's go outside. Oh, she goes back into the bathroom again. She's still confused. She's looking out for the lady. The cleaning lady is gone. And she also went over to the bench where the old couple was. Now, the old couple, the old man's asleep, which most old men are always asleep. I speak that from experience, <laughs> knowing my knowing my elders, yeah, my parents. Yeah, you're that in JV, yes. I'm, I'm not that you're there yet, but I'm getting close. They don't recall seeing anyone else. She asked them, have you seen, did you see me come in? Was there a woman sitting there? No, we didn't see anybody. She goes back into the bathroom looking for herself, trying to figure out where is her doppelganger. She goes in. There's no one there. One Adam 12 comes up to the door. Ma'am, listen, uh, can I help you? Are you okay? She comes out. He takes her outside. He says, let's go out and get some fresh air. So they go outside. And right then while he's talking to her, this old police cruiser pulls up. I mean, this this is classic. The old cars they find are amazing. Yep. This car pulls up, and the cops get out, and without even asking, they grab this woman and they throw her in the back seat. And he just the one Adam Twelve just shakes his head. They haul her off, and she drives. They drive her away to the loony bin. So he walks back inside. So he's talking to the ticket guy, explaining what he's done. That she'll be okay. They're going to, you know, keep her and watch over her. And at this point. He goes to sit back down, and he notices that his briefcase is missing where he laid it next to the bench. And while, he doing, while he's doing that, he looks up and he sees a guy running out of the bus depot, out the same door where they were going to go get the, the bus. So he charges out after this guy, because he thinks the guy stole his suitcase, or his briefcase, and he's running. And this is the final scene of the show. This dude, and, and it's amazing to me, how how it, how correct and thoughtful they are in these stages, how they can suck you in yes. in the most basic of of sets. And yet this part, this is the best they could do in 1960. Here he is running. Sprinting he's, down he's an alley. He's got this laugh on his face. Yeah. Running down this empty road. He has like he has a disturbing smile. He's he does. not laughing. It's, it's, it's sort a sort of a He's, he's a tease. He's like teasing he, his doppelganger to follow him. him. Yeah. So he looks behind him real quick, and here's our guy, one Adam 12, chasing after him, screaming, Hey, hey, come back here. Come back here. And he never finds me. Ends up coming to a corner, and there's nobody there. And uh, that's the end of the show. 
So what I found was interesting. I always listen for little quips, things that are so applicable today. And our bus depot guy at one point, he left after the woman was hauled off by the cops. So he tells our guy, one Adam 12, yeah, you can just sleep on the bench. It'll be quiet. The next bus will be here in the morning. And he goes to turn the lights out. And he makes this comment. I wrote this down. He says, um, let's see, where can I go? Uh, when the power is out, I've got, oh, when not in use, turn off the juice. Yep, <laughs> not a, yes, I know. I'm thinking this is the funniest thing. Don't we all say that today? Don't we all say that to our spouses? Don't we say that to our kids? Because of the high cost of, ed, of everything. And here in 1960, the yep. old bus depot guy is giving us socioeconomic <laughs> advice. On anyway, turning off your power. So there you go. That's my take so, on it. How did I do on that? You nailed it. Here's the thing. I wanted to read this ending. Um, the closing narration is obscure medical physical explanation to cover a phenomenon. Reasons dredged out by the shadows to explain away that which cannot be explained. Call it parallel planes or just insanity. Whatever it is, you find it in the twilight zone. Okay, so the ending of that one gives me chills, as you can see. I freaking love it. I forgot to mention at the beginning that this one was directed by director John Bram. Are those goosebumps? This yeah, is oh. just happy to see. Oh, <laughs> they oh, are. It's both. <laughs> okay, so I'll just do it. This is an obvious a level 10 rating for me. I have adored this episode since the first time I saw it, but I'll tell you what really got my family into it. It was about six years ago when Jordan Peele, you know, my favorite filmmaker today, Jordan Peele made the movie Us, and we were watching the trailer for like, what, eight months, six months, trying to figure out what the hell this movie was about with all these people that were just, it looked like doubles, and we started getting rumors that Us was loosely based on this episode. Got it. In the trivia, it is acknowledged that this was loosely based on Jordan Peele's film. And in Us, it's interesting because they say at the beginning... Well, Jordan Peele's film was based, based on, on this. this. Yes, yeah, my bad, Which Sorry. goes to my original premise that without the Twilight Zone, there would be no TV or mass media. We'd be done, absolutely. Well, we I, would be sitting here trying to grow cabbage. And it wouldn't grow because it's so friggin' hot in Phoenix. <laughs> so we'd be frustrated because yeah. our garden would be dead, would which be mine is out back. Absolutely, your cabbage farm is falling apart. So outside of the fact that it's loosely based on where that, that one of my favorite movies of all time was based on this is great. It's made us like it more on repeat viewings. Yeah. This is one of those situations that I'm going to get into later that is a little hypocritical for me. In this situation, I am totally okay with not knowing what happened. I don't know what it is. Is it like us where there's tunnels underneath the ground and everyone has a tethered person that just decides to come out and wreak havoc on the world? Is it different planes of existence and multiverses or whatever? Either way, I don't care because the last scene with his bag being moved and then he sees himself running down the street yep. and the look on his face, his doppelgangers, when he looks around and it's like you said, mocking him, like teasing him is what you said. It was a teasing it's, it's, laugh. It is, yes. which makes it seem to me more sinister. Yes. Because he would have just bumped into himself and been like, what the hell? Why are there two of us? This guy knew what he was doing and clearly was okay with it. The girl in the bus, she was just looking forward. She didn't make a face, but she also didn't this acknowledge. Guy, this guy knows he knew. that there's a parallel thing going because he runs out of the place. Who runs out of an empty bus depot? And yeah. so to my wife to track you out there, Sandy, I'm sending you this message. You were the first one to observe Hey, but he did not have his brief. His doppelganger wasn't running with his briefcase. Yeah, you're right. Which was He's missing. Yeah. And I thought about that and thought about that. And I go, was this a snafu? Was this a faux pas? An, an error made? And then I thought more and more about it. I thought, no, because 
Her bag was missing and present at the same time back and forth. It's like these parallel universes don't always align exactly which is why she saw herself. Well, here, let's go look at this real quick. They, there are three goofs that are recorded on this episode. Paul and Millicent's first conversation lasts for almost three minutes, yet the clock on the wall remains at 2.15. <laughs> I love those big yeah. school clocks because it helps me keep track. That's hilarious. It was 6.34 p.m., by the way, when this thing started. <laughs> yeah. When the other traveler is calling the police from the baggage check, he brushes against the post and it can be seen moving. Okay. And this says, when the main carrier is let outside from some air and she's carrying some small things in her hands, but the young man nor she is carrying her luggage before she is forcibly put into the police car. Her luggage right. is nowhere in sight. See, even the trivia on this one doesn't acknowledge okay. that one. So, so I can see that. Here's how I would sum this up. The whole show tells you that it's unpredictable. If this parallel universe shtick exists... Stuff can happen simultaneously or there can be gaps in the time. Yeah. So now I'm thinking, these may not have been errors, but I can play it in my head and say, this is a play on what they're trying to to communicate. See, and in one of this, this is the weird situation because I love this episode so much it makes sense, that you could draw that conclusion. You could literally say that this flub was intentional. See, I've been drawing that conclusion my whole life. <laughs> That's... Okay, what's your what's your rating on this one? I give this a nine. That's amazing. Okay, ten okay. nine. Its IMDb score is a seven point nine. So, okay, so it's we liked up there. it better than most. Okay, than most. But this is up there. Here's some trivia on here. Rod Serling claimed one of his real life real life experiences inspired this story. Now, I read his book and his breakthrough book about each episode, and I don't remember what that means, but it says that he mentioned this. Um, all of the Cortland, Syracuse, Tully, and Binghamton are all in New York, upstate New York, except the cop car at the end is an LAPD car. Yes. <laughs> okay, yes. that's kind of funny. Um, it was after filming the story that Martin Milner went to film Black November, the pilot of the series, which made him a star, which is the guy that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. What are you calling him? One Adam, Adam, one Adam, Adam 12. 12. Um, in the opening scene, the L.A. is blocked from the ladies sign behind Millicent so that it just reads dies. That's kind of interesting. This was cited as an influence for Jordan Peele's Us. And then for the one spoiler, it says, Concern for Millicent's well-being, Martin Milner's character. Oh, no, this is the same thing, that the car was a cop car. Yeah. So anyway, I adore this because of the multiple things that could have caused it what was going on i love the acting i love the fact that us is loosely based on this and i just think it's great um when you put it in comparison i have to be honest this is a 10 rating and it has been one of my oldest 10 ratings this next one is also a 10 rating and this is the imdb one that we i really wanted to get other people in to discuss this one because i think this might be one of the most important episodes of tv Ever made. And it, this, this is a social phenomenon that applies so much today that I would encourage anyone listening to this, takes time today, pull this up. It's 23 minutes long. This one will strike you to the core. It does. Um, this is one of, this is the second highest rated episode of the show. It has got a 8.9. The only one that is higher is Terror at 30,000 feet, which has a 9.1. So they, this is almost. Great Escape. And the, uh, just on uh, time, Twilight Zone episodes. <laughs> oh, we are, That's, we're, ref, we're defining only Twilight Zone. Sorry about that. We are obviously talking about The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, which aired on March 4th, 1960, directed by Ron Winston and written and created by Rod Serling. Uh, on a peaceful suburban street, strange occurrences and the mysterious people, uh, strange mis occurrences and mysterious people stoke the residents paranoia to a dis dis 
disastrous intensity. I should just delete that whole thing. I just love that up so badly. But you can't. This uh, is live, baby. So this is the one I say we should have half an hour to talk about, which would be longer than the show itself. Let's not do that, but let's let's get into this thing okay. and break it down as eloquently as we can because we're going to dissect. This is an amazing episode. Uh, so you've got this suburban street. The camera pans in from the air and comes down. This is your typical, supposedly typical, you've got two guys that are out washing an old DeSoto. You've got a couple of kids that are throwing a baseball. You've got this old ice cream vendor walking down the middle of the street ringing his bell. Yep. All of a sudden, this flash of light and this very loud noise. Everyone looks up. And then they start talking. Then it fades away after three or four seconds. And they look at each other. Was that a sonic boom? Was that a meteorite? Was that a solar flare? They're all talking about this thing. When all of a sudden, people start coming out of their other houses. And it's usually the wind. They've got aprons around them. So this is classic 60s imagery, right? The Very. women are inside cooking. The men are out washing their cars. The cars. And the kids are out throwing baseballs. And the poor ice cream guy isn't selling a single ice cream cone, which is really sad. So they start talking about what was this. And one woman comes out and says, our power's out. It's not working. Then another woman comes out from across the street. There's nothing working. Our electricity is off. So one of the guys gets in his car and tries to start it for grins, and the car does not start. Well, all of a sudden, these people have come out. Now there's about a dozen of them that are in a circle, and they're talking about this strange phenomenon. Well, one guy, and this is very critical, he, an older guy says, you know what? I'm going to walk over to the next street and see if their power is out also. He walks away. He's got a hammer, by the way, in his, his little, workman's his jeans. Work jeans. Okay. Yep. His so dungarees. Keep yeah. that in mind. So he disappears. So they're talking about what could have happened and what, what kind of theories could have caused this. And this teenage kid, he's probably 13 or 14, chimes in and says, oh, when the, the, the star of this episode says, let's go downtown and see if we can find out if it's affecting downtown and what they know about this. And this kid says, stop, don't go downtown. They don't want you to go downtown. And they all stop. All the adults stop. And they ignore the kid. Oh, don't listen to him. And finally, and the leader of this group says, no, wait a minute. Let's listen to what he has to say. What's going on? He says, I've read in my science fiction books that the aliens, they do not want you to leave the area. And as a matter of fact, they send down humans or they send down spies that look like humans before they attack so that they can infiltrate humanity and take over and cause mayhem before they arrive. So all of a sudden they're listening to this kid and they end up not going downtown. They try to, and all of a sudden the car that didn't start starts up on its own. On its own, on no its one's own. near it, it just turns. So everyone on. turns and looks at it and the guy who owned that car in his driveway, he goes, I have no idea, it wouldn't start before. Well, this is where the chaos begins. Now all the other neighbors start looking at him. Why did your car start up? No one, no one else's electricity has come back. What's going on? Hey, I have no idea. I'm just like you. And they go, well, wait a minute. There's something strange about you. Yeah. And the- <laughs> the, okay, I got to say it. His name in the show is Charlie Farnsworth. He's played by Jack Winston, Weston. Are you talking about the bad guy, the yes, antagonist? Yes, the chubby antagonist okay. guy that comes in that won't shut the fuck up. Every just, neighborhood in America has a chubby guy, guy that's, which, a, that's an asshole. This guy is exactly why this most of this... Everything translates to today, yeah, but yes. this guy, you're right. Everybody has one. This guy starts talking, and I, what a fantastic character because you hate him so much, but he's such a real-life yes. character. One thing that we didn't really say, 
the difference between this episode and then the one we just did and, you know, the, the other ones we liked is those ones are in small locations with minimal cast and crew. This is on an entire city street. This was clearly filmed on the Paramount lot with a cast of, what, 25? Yes. And most of these people have lines. So this is a big episode. There's a lot going on right here. Yeah, they're all talking. And now it's gang. Now what you see is a street gang of middle-aged suburbanites yep. that all of a sudden start surrounding the guy whose car started on his own. And he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, back up. He starts backing up onto his porch and they start crowding around him. He says, it wasn't me. I had nothing to do with this. And then some lady in the group barks out, you know what? I've seen you late at, late night, at night when no one's looking. You're looking up in the sky. Are you signaling the aliens to come down here? And he goes, lady, I have insomnia. You can ask my wife, I have insomnia, I can't sleep well. Sometimes I come out and I just stare up in the sky. Oh, really? And then his car starts up again, and they're looking at it, and then it stops. On its own. On its own. Yeah, all this so weird, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is going back and forth. So also so, something to say is, now I can't remember visually, I'm trying to see it in my head. It is starting to get dark okay. at this point. That's the next scene. There's a break okay. in the scenes. This is when Rod Sterling steps in and there's a little commercial break, which we don't get to see in the replays of mm, it, but it's mm. good. Then it comes back and it's nighttime. At this point, the antagonist and the crew, they're surrounding this dude's house. They're just waiting for something to happen. It's nighttime. And uh, they're talking to him and arguing back and forth. And all of a sudden... Uh, the the star of this, the head guy who's the pos the positive. His player. name is Claude. Okay. But he's played. Uh, his name is Steve Brand, but he's the actor is Claude Atkins. He's so very famous. So Claude starts defending this guy and says, "Wait a minute, folks, we're getting out of control. This is not what we should be doing. We're losing control of ourselves. Let's stop and think for a minute about here, about what's going on here." And at that point, Mister Antagonist, the fat guy, turns on him and says, "You know what?" I don't know why you're doing this, but there's something wrong with you. And then his wife chimes in and says, I've seen you. you I've heard from your wife. She's been telling oh. everybody that you're in the basement building some kind of radio. And they're all going, whoa, what are you doing? And the antagonist, tell us, tell us, what is it you're building? Are you building a communication radio to your space alien buddies up in the sky? No, no, that's nothing. And she and the wife jumps in and says, "No, I promise, it's just a ham radio. It's just a ham radio." So they start really battling. So all of a sudden, it goes from the guy whose car wouldn't start and then did start to our hero who's defending the first guy, and the crowd. This gang mentality has taken over. So they're all in the middle of this arguing, and all of a sudden, they hear a noise at the end of the street. Some dude is walking in the dock towards them. Well, Mister Antagonist says. This is our street. I don't know who that is. And if these are aliens, we've got to do something. So a neighbor runs up with a shotgun. Now, this happens to me all the time yeah. in Georgia. People with, <laughs> just wander around with shotguns. But in this case, he grabs the shotgun and this you hear the steps. This is so classically yes. set up. Boom. The guy's yep. walking up. And all you see is the hammer hanging off of his tool belt. So you know that this is the old guy that left hours ago to go downtown. He obviously doesn't know where downtown is, or he walks really slow. Anyway, he's approaching him. Our dude raises the shotgun, because he can't see him, and blasts this dude, kills him. Well, they all run up to the body, and they realize this is the old guy. And they're, they're trying to 
make sense of this. And the antagonist is, hey, I didn't know who it was. I couldn't see him. You know, he was approaches. We had no idea. You saw it, Steve. We didn't know who it was. Yeah. Yeah. So all of a sudden, then the camera pans away. Now it gets, oh, and they then they blame the kid. The kid that well, started Well, this is where out. it gets, this is where it starts turning to yeah. like, it's, it's this, bad now. This, this is a mob. This is not just... Fear and anxiety. So the this focus, is antagonism. The focus goes to Charlie, the chubby, annoying guy, for shooting him. And then what does right. he do? Just like everybody else, they blame somebody else. And he goes, what about the kid? The yeah. kid is the it's one the that kid. knew it. I it's knew it was kid. the kid. I knew it was the kid. And of course, in this mob mentality, everybody turns and starts looking yeah. and blaming the kid. Okay. So at this point, the kid runs away. And within two seconds... Everybody is running after everybody else. It was him. It was her. I know it's him. Then you hear a couple of shots ring out. Here's the well, coolest. It, all the same time, the lights are turning on and off. Oh, yeah, the yes, houses. Yes. Thank the, you. Down the Thank street, you. down the street, the lights are turning on. A Cars car are starts, turning on. A car stops. Everything. The street lights are going on yes. and off, on and off. Everything it's like, that's power related. I'm getting is the chills. On its own. Every as bad as the group is, that's what's happening in the houses yes. and on the street yes. too. They are in conjunction, which is important later. It is. It is. So here's the very last scene, and this is. Is the coolest part why everyone needs to watch this episode it pans up to a hillside overlooking the street and here are two guys and you can hear the bedlam you can see oh, the people well, you, you can hear, hear the hear. gunshots all of a sudden everyone's shooting at everyone else it's total mayhem it is mayhem that's so exactly what they've lost is. total control and these two guys are standing on this hill now mm, you know mm. they're from a distance, the camera keeps going and going and going and going. Yes. You're probably, what, a half a mile away on the top yeah, of a hill. you're on the top of a hill. Looking down at the street, and the camera, you see two guys. Okay. These aren't just two guys. They're dressed in jumpsuits that are spray-painted silver. So yeah. you know, in 1960, these are aliens. aliens. <laughs> <laughs> so they're sitting there like two guys at the bar talking. One of them is holding a little box. Now, this is like an Amazon box that every one of you gets every single day. And uh, it's got two knobs on it, and he's controlling it like he's controlling a drone. And they're talking back and forth. They're bantering. Well, wow, this is just like you said it was. And he's the one guy is controlling the lights on the street off and on, and the cars off and on. He says, you know, he goes, this is what how you get humanity. He says it's real easy. You can get them fighting each other, and we don't even have to fight them we will wait for them to kill themselves and ready he goes does this happen everywhere he goes every single location hold on a second i'm gonna read yes. it to you and i have this saved because this is such a poignant Bring there are two yes, things here is. we go alien one understand the procedure now just to stop just stop a few of their machines and radios and telephones and lawnmowers throw them into darkness for a few hours and then sit back and watch the pattern alien two and this pattern is always the same. Alien 1, with few variations. They pick the most dangerous enemy they can find, and it's themselves. All we need to do is sit back and watch. And then the other alien, Alien 2. I take it in this place, Maple Street is not unique. Alien 1, by no means. Their world is full of Maple Streets, and we'll go from one to the other, let them destroy themselves. One to the other, one to the other, one to the other. Okay. So the very last scene is the two of them turn around. He takes his Amazon box in his hand with the two knobs, and the two of them walk <laughs> up the stairs, and the stairs lift up, just like every alien spacecraft in the highlight zone that was ever filmed. And then that's the end of the show. With with this closing narration, which is the Are you one... going to read it? Because I was going to read do it. This. Do it, because okay. I read the aliens. So here's the Rod S. Sterling wrap-up <laughs> of this. Weapons are thoughts. Thoughts can destroy. Sad thing is, these thoughts are not confined to the twilight zone. There we go. I thought that was... It was beautifully written, beautifully filmed 
the human interaction and turmoil and distrust and quickness to judge others, all of this to me, this was my 10. See, see, I... This is, I haven't met someone yet that hasn't said that this has moved them or kind of awoken them. You know, you know, it's just a really bizarre telling of the social experiment that is people. I was hoping that mom would want to record because mom really is into mob mentality and how funny it is that you get a group of idiots together and plant one seed and people start to turn. There's a couple of moments in this. So obviously this is a 10 rating for me and there's some amazing trivia. I'll get to that in a second, but I wanted to cover some opinions as we have more Long Island. There's a couple of moments in here. First of all, them turning on the kid is just about as terrifying as it can get. When you see that this damn little kid started the whole agreed because he's a little moron reading too many comic books, (laughs) kind of like me, and he's and he gets away because he runs faster than all the old old adults. Exactly, he gets away. But we know that Charlie's going to go shoot him again anyway later. (laughs) But the one that really kind of stuck out to me was when his wife was talking about it and then the lady goes well your wife said this that kind of crushed me because first of all as a personal thing sarah knows this this isn't a secret i hate it when people talk about me when i'm not around even if it's about something stupid i just i hate the idea of sarah saying oh yeah steve does this all the time i hate that so when it came down to this i personally got like i don't know I, i hate to use that term triggered but i was automatically like this would have destroyed me in that moment to know like even something as cute as, oh yeah, well, Steve just plays around with his yeah. movie posters. He's building a ham radio or he's podcasting. You know, that's what it would be like yep. today. She'd be like, well, yeah, Steve does a podcast. Oh, really? He, is he podcasting with aliens? What is he doing? That At the moment, it was an innocent thing. But in this moment right now, it was betrayal because now there's a target on his back because he fucking does a, a ham radio thing, whatever. And it all just, these it, people at the time said to her, we haven't seen this radio. Does it even exist? It, yeah. Has anyone seen it? No, no one's seen it. So because a ham radio is the size her, of a table. Here she is giving him kudos that he's got a hobby and she's commenting on it very innocently and supportively, which turns into this. He looks at her like, what the hell have you been saying? Yeah. And then they all turn him into an alien communicator. Exactly. So it started as an innocent thing, yep. which again is another layer to this that is the one that I take home the most is – an innocent conversation between people, just neighbors, could be the downfall if in a situation like this because they went down and as soon as she said that, he was the next guy to Steve, get the target on him. Think about it. If we lose power for one day oh, no. in this country, so, we're done. Oh, no, no, we're no. Done. It's gone. We, I, I read the stories about solar flares taking out the internet for yeah. two weeks because they said that it's a very real possibility and it's not even that unimaginable. Right, right. I don't think that it'll take that long to do exactly like what this said. I think that it's the same timing. If you shut this off in the daytime, right, just like they did with them, by nighttime, I think it will be bedlam. I, I am telling yep. you, it will be lock your doors and just keep yourself. I don't think today, I think today we've gotten so much worse than this and we oh, rely on it. Oh, we're much more sensitive and quick to judge than oh, it ever was. Absolutely. In so absolutely. I'm going to wrap this up because we've got, but I'm going to say this. So help me God, if any of you, if this happens to any of us, before you shoot your neighbor, look up on the closest hillside. If you see two, see two guys, guys in silver jumpsuits with an standing, Amazon box, sta- with an Amazon box <laughs> standing next to a flying saucer, don't blame your neighbor. Just let these guys go. They'll they'll go somewhere else. Ignore the spacemen. That's my advice. So for everybody here, I couldn't recommend this episode. If I was going to recommend anybody to watch an episode of The Twilight Zone, this is number one. It's yes. not to serve man. It's not Terror 20,000. It's, it's not it's the hitchhiker. This is a poignant story today. And the yes. last thing I wanted to end with was, and I kind of said this last time, 
Um, Jordan Peele, obviously, like I've said it a million times, my favorite filmmaker today. I would love to see him do a take on this, except it might break my heart because he would make it about race and it would be divisive like that. His Everything that he does is about race. I always look past it because the story beyond the racial factor is too good. In this one, I think it would be too on the nose. So I hope he doesn't, but I think that he could tell a compelling story. If you were to retell this story today, I think it would be terrifying. And I oh, think absolutely, that- absolutely, because everyone's it, going to- Associate or assimilate with an aspect of it Absolutely. that affects their own personal lives, whether it's religion, yeah. race, what gender, well, whatever. Whatever it is. I mean, this is one of those episodes that, since race is a thing so much today, imagine someone that is black or whatever watching this and thinking about, fuck, I'm so glad I didn't live on that street. They would have shot me first. In 1960, anything oh that sets God. you apart as being different from the group makes you the villain. Yeah. Immediately. The guy, they literally watched him try to turn over his car. Do you remember when he tried to start the car? The group of people around it. They clearly saw him turning the key and nothing clicking. Then it turns on and he's the bad guy. Well, that wasn't the, wasn't the first guy. The star of this was the one that started his car after he washed it. In the You're right. It was him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That but wasn't I mean, even the first guy. Yeah, but they watched him. The point is that there were people witnessing it yes. happening and then they still made him the villain, which means that that would be tenfold today. All right. So message to all of you. You need to watch this. Yeah, I forgot to say this. I was just going to go say it's season one, episode. Oh, I just missed it. It's episode. It's episode twenty-two. Season one, episode twenty-two. Twenty-one. I have it right here. It's episode twenty-two. Do I have it wrong? It's called the Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. I'm sure twenty-two. You're correct. It's episode twenty-two. Monsters Due on Maple Street. It is on Paramount Plus. Um, I just go and watch this episode. Watch it. Grab a Long Island iced tea Do and it. watch it is, this a couple of times. It is crucial. Okay. So, hey, we didn't spend 30 minutes on that episode. No, we didn't. If we had a guest, we could have. We um, could have, but I think we got our point across. We did. This is a must-see. It is. I consider this to be the tentpole episode of the entire series. And if any of you out there have a little Timmy who's about 14. <laughs> tell him to shut tell up. Tell him to shut up and kick his ass yes. for no other reason than he may blab something about aliens and then the whole world goes down. Absolutely. So stop the madness now. Yep. So this is going to be a weird transition. We're halfway through the episode. We just got done talking about arguably – so I'm going to take a, a beat. Going through the rest of the two seasons of the – two and a half seasons of this show, including the movies and the Jordan Peele episodes and blah, 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 right? Later on. Right, right. I don't think I'll be as shot out of a cannon except for To Serve Man. That's a very personal one that I like. It's yes, a goofy yes. episode with a really good twist ending. I have a shirt for it. It's great. Yes. Um, that one – I don't – just go and watch this episode because it's if this show if this episode doesn't sell you on the whole entire series then it's not meant for you. It's just not. Then you're not I, meant for okay, existential I, threat. I'm too dumb and too old to realize how these podcasts really get communicated out there. All I can say is I wish I could see some feedback or hear something from people that are listening to this that go back and watch this and their responses to it. I would be really interested because this is so timely. This is more important today than when it was filmed what 60 years ago yes and and there's no animosity in this everyone should see this for their own reasons and come away with the same conclusion that we need to be really careful we do you know what you just started something interesting i don't have an email or anything and steve doesn't have one set up but i'm going to say we run a private movie thing called pin drop cinema where we show movies in the desert in different locations and there's an email address pin drop cinema at yahoo.com if you listen to this show and if you have any thoughts on this or just in general the Twilight Zone, but more specifically this one, 
drop three sentences. Yeah. I monitor this. I don't get any emails from this. Pin drop cinema at yahoo.com. And just let us know because he brought up a really good point. I want to hear what other people think about this. If you want me to retire from this thing and just leave it to Steve, let me know. That, uh, that email will not be happening. <laughs> so where I was going is we just went through this episode that has so many different elements and things to the one that I think is going to be on your lowest rated. If, if, if I'm – I, I think that this episode... Daniel, did you look at my notes? No, but I have a feeling... <laughs> oh my god! Okay, I, have, I fucking knew it. Okay, okay, let's I'm get sorry, into I'm this sorry. one. Let's this get episode this. is called A World of Difference. It is episode season one, episode 23, aired on March 11th, 1960, directed by Ted Post, written by Richard Matheson and Rod Serling, but he just created the series. The short bio is a businessman sitting in his office inexplicably finds that he is on a production set... And in a world where he is a movie star. That's all I'm going to say because let's just go for it, man. Okay. okay. This is one of the stupidest episodes I've ever seen. <laughs> okay. It leaves, me, it leaves me wondering. If I were to sum this up, the dude who's the star of this is an idiot. He's snorted way too much cocaine. <laughs> he needs to just go in the desert and dig a hole. So anyway... He's this businessman that walks into an office. This is a beautiful office. I got to give He's, the names because it's important because they say them all the time, right? So he has two different names. Okay. It's Arthur Curtis and Gary Reagan. So Arthur and Gary. Okay. Jerry. Jerry. Arthur, Arthur is his name when he's in his in, office. In his okay. business. Okay. So he goes into the office. His secretary hands him these files. Yes, Mr. So-and-so, Arthur. I need you to sign these things. Great. Let me go into my office. He goes into his inner sanctum. This is classic 1960s sitcom. What does a business guy's office look like? Oh, it's God, so it looks like our whole house. Yes. It's got sofas. It's got TV. It's got everything it's in there. It's Mad Men. You know, it's exactly so, what it looks like. Anyway, he tells his secretary to make reservations for the flight, get tickets for the flight to, to San Francisco for he and his wife for the weekend, blah, blah, blah. So she goes out and does that, and he picks up the phone to call his wife, and the phone doesn't work. He can't ring out to her. And he's frustrated, so he's puts the phone down, gets up to go talk to his secretary. Obviously, the secretary is the phone company. He's going to blame her for everything. Yep. He stands up and instantly hear this word, cut. Okay, we all know what that means. It means that this thing's being filmed. He looks around in amazement, and he sees that this is a set that he's on, and there's dozens of people and, and scaffolding giving him instructions, and he's looking at it like, what the hell? I was just in my office, and now all of a sudden I've got people staring at me sitting on chairs telling me to cut. So anyway, they start talking to me. They say, can't you even make a phone call? They're sort of pissed at him. So apparently this guy in their world is really an actor who's on his last leg. And they're sort of pissed at him. And he played it beautifully until he couldn't make the phone call connection correctly. Okay, I wanted to do something here because I really liked how the flow of the last one worked. Do you know what I want to do? Can you read the intro and the extra because what he says? Because I really, really enjoy that. There it is right here. So here's the okay. intro because right when they say cut, there it is. Right when they say cut is when Rod Serling starts his thing. And I, I kind of like hearing that because Good. it's always so poignant. All right. You're looking at a tableau of reality, things of substance, of physical material, a desk, a window, a light. These things exist and have dimension. Now this is Arthur Curtis, age 36. I swear to God. By the way, hold guys, on. There's trivia on that. He's 46. Okay. I was just going to say, <laughs> yeah. these people are not <laughs> They shave 10 years off of everybody. Who also is real. He has flesh and blood, muscle and mind. But in just a moment, we will see how this in line 
how this thin, how thin a line separates that which we assume to be real with that manufactured inside a mind. Okay, so at this point, I want the reason I brought this up, and first of all, we're going to do that on every episode. I like to read his intro and intros because yes, they're yes. so good. But at this point, I'm thinking this is going to be the greatest episode. Just watching it, I'm like, wait a minute, what? He's an actor, but he's not an actor. What's going on? And then this, okay. I'm hooked. And honestly, from here, it doesn't go far. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So he flips out. He's arguing with them. He's off the set. There, there's bickering going back and forth. Obviously, he's an actor in their mind. This is a set, and he's making a movie. He argues with them. No, I'm Arthur so-and-so. And they're looking at each other going, this guy's lost his mind. He apparently was on thin ice before they started filming. They gave him this show as a final shot. His manager got him this gig, and he's just dropping the ball. So he starts arguing with them and says, I'm going, I'm, I'm leaving here right now. i got to figure this out. You guys are lying. I don't know what's going on. He runs outside the studio, almost gets hit by a car. Well, the car happens to be driven by a woman who is his ex-wife. Or soon to be ex-wife. Soon to be ex-wife, yes. So he's looking at her. He doesn't know who she is. And she starts screaming at him. You owe me money. I want you to pay me every penny. What are you doing? You've got to film this thing so you can earn the money. Because the judge said you owed me money. Blah, blah, blah. So they start arguing. She says, get in the car. We're going to go. I'm going to get the money you owe me. So he gets in the car. And all of a sudden, they're driving around in a neighborhood. And he comes. She's driving at this point, And he's giving her directions. And they come to this little cozy street, and he sees a house, and they stop. He gets out. He thinks he recognizes it. He gets out of the car, and he looks around on the sidewalk, and he sees a little girl. And he thinks that it's his girl, his daughter, who's maybe six or seven. He runs up to her and says, gets bends down, grabs her shoulders to greet her. She looks at him and starts freaking out, starts <laughs> screaming, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. Stranger you. danger, yeah. Stranger, yeah. So she runs up the sidewalk to the front door of the house. His wife, or future ex-wife, pulls, pulls up in the car and, pulls and says, get, get in, in the, the car, car now. Get in the car get now. The car. Do you want to go to jail? Get in the car. Do you want to go to jail for child abuse? So he gets in the car and they drive away. But and you know the, the little girl. Part? The little point girl comes little out little with her mom. Mommy, mommy, that's, that's the man. That's the man that tried to grab me. So anyway, end of the story for those two. So they're driving around further. She ends up, the next scene is they pull up in front of this mansion in front of this house the front door they get out and he goes where are we now well you're home let's go inside i want that money that you owe me the next thing is they go inside they're at his desk now this is a nice set it's a beautiful home who do they run into but his agent now folks here's the next thing you know how i've said before there's always a movie the tv industry was created because of twilight zone presentations people right. that are in it well guess who appears as his agent i don't this is, you know what okay, i don't i don't know if is, i know who he is this is the dude who in the bewitched series so now oh my we've, god we've so had darren yeah, darren who was darren. you called him darren. you called him darren the entire episode which made me laugh okay. hold on a second <laughs> darren who's the guy who's are you mean frank maxwell commit told him that he was going to die and he ended up coming back from that uh, engagement dead and right. well, he didn't come back because he was dead well Darren who is married to bewitched his boss is this asshole named Laren Tate well guess who his this dude's manager is it's Laren Tate from bewitched this I is... swear to God bewitched would have never been filmed 
had not Rod Sterling, Serling, been able to bring these See, actors in. I can't tell if listeners give a flying shit about what we're saying, but is this the same guy, Dad, from Charlie's Angels, MASH, uh, All in the Family, The Bob Newhart Show, Switch, and uh, The Love Boat? Okay. You would have to ask Track. The Wild Angels? My wife, she is the genius on this stuff. This is who you're I... talking about, correct? Let's Let me see. Is that him? Yeah, but he's got brown hair there. This guy is an old geezer. Wait. All he has is the mustache. Oh my god, wait a minute. Okay, so anyway. Oh any- my god, sorry, you mean him. The guy that's in everything, David White. Yeah. Let me see is- that little asshole. Yes. He's a d- yes, yeah, I hate his, that guy. His first his first thing on IMDb is I, Bewitched. We I hated often- him on Belit, Bewitched. I hated him in the show. He's in the house. I guess he just hangs around this dude's house when no one else is there. So anyway, he and his ex-wife or future ex-wife go in. There's Larry Tate, the be- the bewitched dude. And they're arguing. She goes to the desk, gets the checkbook out. She's writing the check. And he's arguing with his manager, Larry Tate. <laughs> and they go back and forth. I'm sorry. I'm mixing my metaphors here, folks. I apologize. But all I can see when I see this white-haired dude is bewitched. And he was an asshole in that show. He's an asshole in this show. Okay. And he's trying to convince our guy <laughs> that he needs to go back. He needs to start filming the next day. He can work this all out. And our our star is arguing with him even more. And finally, finally, our dude says, no, you know what? The show was canceled. I just got a call. You're not going back. They're tearing the set down. They're literally and, tearing it down. And he, holds the, he holds the script up in his hand. Like he's carrying the script around wherever he goes. And he tells, Why did I not think about how funny that is? There it is. All house, of a sudden, and he's just got the, the script, script is in his hand. And he reads bits and pieces. He says, you're done, Arthur. Arthur's the character in the script of the movie. And he says, you're dead. The show's dead. They've canceled it. You don't exist anymore. So our guy freaks out. Now, this is the coolest part of the movie, which I did not like that much. But in this episode, he runs outside. He jumps in his wife's big behemoth of a car. Yep. And all of a sudden, there's about 20 seconds of road rage as this dude is driving 100 miles an hour down these roads, dodging cars to the set. So he ends up pulling up to the studio set. He goes inside. All of the workers are tearing the set down. He runs inside to where his office is. He's asking people, have you seen so-and-so? No, he's gone. He's, he's already left. What are you doing? We've got to film this. No, we were, told, we were just doing what we were told. He ends up going in his office, and he's freaking out. All of a sudden, he realizes, no, my life as Arthur in this play was much better than my ex-wife that's trying to get this check for me and my manager, Larry Tate, who's an asshole. So he goes into his inner sanctum, which they haven't torn apart yet, which is in which is his inner office where it started. And he he he's looking through his desk and all of a sudden the door opens and in walks his stage wife, the wife that he was going to go to San Francisco with. Now, I'll finish this up real quick and then give you my analogy at the end on this. He grabs her and he says, honey, we've got to go. Because he's starting to realize there's parallel universes here. He needs to escape his real life and stay with the stage role. So he sa- she says, what, what are we doing? We're going right now. We're not going this weekend. We're going to leave right now. Grabs her hand. They run out the back door. And that's it. And it shows. And then all of a sudden, Rod Sterling comes in with his final narration, which is, the modus operandi for the departure from life is usually a pine box of such and such dimensions, and this is the ultimate in reality. But there are other ways for a man to exit from life. 
Take the case of Arthur Curtis, age 36. His departure was along a highway with an exit sign that reads, This Way to Escape. Arthur Curtis, en route to the Twilight Zone. So, they leave. That's the end of the show. Here's the last thing I'll say, and I'll turn it over to you, Steve. Okay, I talk about how Twilight Zone created future movies and series. This show reminded me so much of the Langoliers because he's leaving. He's escaping his house, going back to the studio, goes inside. They're starting to dismantle everything. He runs into his inner sanctum. His Hollywood wife comes in, grabs her, and he leaves. And all I picture are those sharp steel teeth little critters munching away at reality, chasing him as he is heading off. And the last thing is this jet flying off into the sky. All I kept thinking is, this is what the Langoliers is all about. They're chasing him. Yeah. So your rating on this one is very low. It is because it was stupid. The you know what's interesting? I gave it a I gave it a six. Okay, that is exactly my score. Oh, I thought you said you wrote a five. Well, it it was a five five and it was a six. Oh my god, you have you turned your five into a six. This is a German word for stop sign. Okay, it's a five and a six. Well, I gave it a six. Okay, so we're on the same page. Its IMDb score is weird. It is at a seven point six, which is oddly high. So. I will tell you the absolute They love Darren Tate. They See, love They Larry love the Tate. guy that you they just keep up bringing up. They love the guy. Here's the thing that I took away from this was when I watched it the first time, I immediately forgot about the episode. I just did. I just one of those ones that I just keep going through. Yeah. Okay, whatever. Like what we do every New Year's. And then I was like, whatever. I never think about it or even talk about it again. Right. Um, this one was weird though because re-watching it and I'm trying to be hyper-focused, I don't know – what actually happened. So I went to the interwebs to look this up. There is a website and a guy, I would like to give him credit, but uh, I don't care to go look it up right now, who runs a breakdown of all the Twilight Zone episodes. He wrote a book, I think, and he's seen as this. We're so better he, than he is. Oh, absolutely. Um, he said that he thinks it's weird because he tweeted about this years ago and he got a lot of responses with people saying what actually happened. And he goes, I was blown away because after watching this, for me, this is a quote, it's apt to happen when I'm discussing an episode with other fans, and I find that their explanation of an episode dis, uh, differs completely from mine. Take season one's A World of Difference, which stars Howard Huff. I recently took note on my Twitter page as of March 11th, its anniversary. As always, I give a brief synopsis, blah, blah, blah. I'm used to hearing people say that they like or don't like an episode. He goes, but this time I got reactions like this. Wait, he's the actor? I thought the real guy just fell into the zone and had to get out. Or... I still don't know how to interpret this ending. Or, it's always made me unsure which is real and which wasn't, but I suppose he only was playing the role he believed was his real life. And then the other comment that he got a lot was, wait, for real? He was really the actor all along? I'm so confused. So he goes on for this long explaining why he thinks that it's this way or other, but he does say that this is a compelling episode because it does have hyperbole opinions on the reception. People don't really know what it means and what it doesn't mean. Had they watched the Langoliers, they'd know exactly. this is what I'm saying, is they need to be more apt on what we talk about today does that but make, is, does my langoliers it, absolute, it absolutely does it really does and i always have loved the langoliers even the shitty movie one that they made with uh the guy ripping the paper and the thing but either way it's a six for me i it's a fun watch if you want to just burn some time it's a good 24 minutes on screen but i am not a fan and i would never go back and rewatch it what i said at the beginning of this episode was episode one had some you don't know is it real is it not yeah. whatever this one has the same thing except I don't like this one. 
I genuinely don't. I don't know what the hell was real, what wasn't real. What is this shit? I can't tell. I think they knew how they wanted to start it, and they knew how they wanted to end it, and they just didn't know how to fill in the in-between. Right. And so that's so, what they did. They just did something in-between, and it left everyone in the dust without hot, explaining it. Hot question, finger guns. Who was the real person? To you. The actor or the uh, the the, uh, the on screen? Who I think I think it was the real guy, but he realized that his actor role was a better life. Was a so better life. He went oh, kind of nuts. So he went nuts and just was like, absolutely. this is my life." So absolutely, meaning that on the outside he just looks like what a paraplegic, like he's just sitting there and basically in his he's head, gone insane. He's so gone it's insane. In his head, he's leaving. Exit stage left. He's gone. End okay. of story. That's how I take it after reading all of this. But a lot of people were thinking, no, he was right. He was the real person on the movie one. And then, uh, you know, whatever. That's okay, so sorry about that. We had to do a pause. We're going to shift gears a little bit here. And we're only going to do three episodes today. We're slightly under an hour. And the next episode is called uh, Long Live Walter Jameson, which has an incredibly high IMDb rating. It is a very popular episode, and for me, it is a very high rating. I'm not going to give you for my score. Well. For me as well. So we're going to shelve that one, and we're only going to cover three. Um, just because we spent so much time on Monsters to Do on Maple Street and, you know, whatever for me. But, you know, it's, it's the same thing. We're going to tackle this next time. I forgot to say this before. Our Instagram, and I don't do it, but Steve does, is TikTok, is up and running. So please go and follow the – so if I said earlier the email address. If you're still listening, you don't even have to use that email address. I would just go and follow us at All Things Geek Network. All Things Geek Network together on Instagram. Send us a message. I'm going to post a picture of him and I recording this in a minute. And if you guys just want to comment on that, but I would really like to know if anyone over here goes and watches these episodes, but more importantly, go watch Monsters to Do on Maple Street and just give us an idea. What did you think? What were your opinions? Because we are going to, if, if anyone out there does it, Andy, Sierra, you guys are at home with a baby. Just listen to this and then give your review. I want to know what you think about it. But, uh, it's been a great episode. We only had one round of drinks this time because we only went through three episodes. We did. We'll, but that's what happens. We'll make up for that. I do time. I do feel like in the future there's going to be another episode or two like this. When we no get to, to Serve Man and we get to Terror at 30,000 yes. and all these other ones, yes. I think we're going to spend a little more time on these episodes. But thank you guys again for listening. Make sure you subscribe and share wherever podcasts can be listened to. We are Steve. This is Kelly from the Highlight Zone on the All Things Geek Network. Do not pay attention to guys in silver jumpsuits. That's all I can say. <laughs> Bye, everybody. You know what? We don't have a good ending. I always try to end it with how Rod ends it, but he ends it differently, and I'm like, screw it. So we're just going to end here. Later, everybody. We'll see you on the love, next episode. Love all of you. Love Take care. Home. Take care.